Dramedy Podcast with Uncle Ken Allen. <laughs> you dig so, huh? That's pretty neat. It's got a little fur on the top there. Well, well, welcome to the Trumpy Podcast. This is uh, Uncle Ken uh, bringing you another little little ditty dop dop uh, with a with if I'm Uncle Ken, then this is little cousin Leo right here doing the podcast with me. Leo, say hi. Say something, dude. He's enamored of the windsock. That's just a big furry afro. It looks like Don King on the top of my recorder. <clears throat> Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. And sorry for the hiatus. Uh, I don't know if it's because I have really nothing that I believe is podcast worthy or if I'm too busy doing fatherly things or if I'm just, let's be honest, just being too lazy to get out and do something interesting. I started a couple of them in the last couple of days, but uh, just didn't have anything really coming out. And and there's another thing that I'm trying to figure out how to how to word and how to put together. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that's going to be the case. I'm not sure if that's going to be the one that I put out now or not. So let's just dive right into this fear. Uh, podcast is about fear. Don't be scared. Don't be scared, dude. Don't be scared. Uh, the most afraid I've ever been was in a hotel room in Dubai the night before I flew out to Kabul. I stayed up all night with ice picks in my gut. I swear to God, it felt like I was... I mean, it, it felt like I had glass inside my gut and it just kept cutting and biting through me. And I just kept saying to myself, what the hell am I doing here? Why did I sign up for this voluntarily? Flying into downtown Kabul the next day. I stayed up all night downloading podcasts because there was going to be no way for me to get any kind of Western entertainment while I was there for two and a half months unless we found some way to get Wi-Fi or something. Anyway, I was just desperately grasping to some kind of Western society umbilicus. And uh, that was like a podcast. It was a... Uh, it was Adam Carolla podcast back in 09, which had Don, Danny Bonaducci on it, of all people. And it was, it was rough, but it nevertheless was the only thing I was going to have over there. Um, and I had to seriously, I don't know if you've ever been that afraid that you're almost catatonic. You don't, you can't even. You can't even, like, move. And then you just, it's like there's this thing in the pit of your stomach that's, like, just writhing. 
And I'm going, is there any way I can get out of this? Shit. I don't think I, there's nothing I can do. And I'm not going to, like I've already signed up for it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen tomorrow. It's going to happen in nine hours. It's going to happen in eight hours, eight and a half hours. It's in eight eight hours now. Nine, uh, seven hours, 45 minutes. Seven hours, 44 minutes. And you're just, just doing anything to keep your mind off it. Like download things and, and like break the paralysis and stand up and just pace. I just paced the floor going, oh my God. Oh my God. Oh my God. What the hell am I thinking? Um, what the hell am I thinking? And it kept it kept going all all night. All night long. And then just before the sun came up, I fell asleep. And then the alarm went off about 43 minutes later. And it was time to get up, go meet up with Darren, and drive to the airport and fly Afghan Airlines, whom I had heard at one point tried to fly with one of the windows missing in the cockpit. <laughs> it's a story I got. Oh, hey, mate, now these guys had a bit of fly-by-night kind of uh, airline. Yeah, they are. One of the pilots thought it would be all right to fly the airplane with uh, one of the side windows missing as they fly up in the air. Uh, luckily, ground crew caught them, put it into that one. Uh, that was the story I had heard about two days before the flight. <laughs> and um, it just, like, why would you have to tell me that story, bro? Why, why even have to know that? But uh, nevertheless... That's what I'm dealing with as I go in, um, and and met with uh, Darren, the other EMT, getting over into Afghanistan with me, and and boarding that plane. Uh, I think that was probably the first time I really, truly, kind of just put an end to 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 the possibility of getting away from fear, of of escaping. Because I was so afraid of something. Um, and that reminded me of like all these other times when I was a kid, like being afraid to go down the water slide at Windsor Waterworks, like the big long, the scorpion or whatever it was called. It was like seven stories straight down. And I sat up there for like a half an hour. Oh. I know, right? A half an hour. I'm not kidding. And, um, and, and like little seven year old, I was like, Twelve, pathetic, pathetic, and, and 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 like you know, friends like would go down and then they'd lap me and come after like five minutes they'd be back in line and they're like, "Are you gonna go or not? Come on, Casey." Uh, like little like seven year old kids are like, "Come on, you chicken!" And they'd like catapult themselves down the slide. You know, they'd grab the top railing and like fling themselves. It was like a pull up bar, and you could like push yourself over the slide and they'd catch some air before they hit the back of the slide and <laughs> down the thing. And I'd be like, oh my God, oh my God. And finally, the guy that runs the thing goes, all right, kid, like, you got to get on or you got to get down. And he goes, you're going to have to walk by all of these people 
all the way down the slide on the other side of this. And you're gonna have to, he's like, just, if I were you, I'd go down. And I kind of was like, okay, okay. <laughs> and did it. And then instantly it's gone in like two seconds. It's, and you feel this rush. And you're like, I did it. Yeah, I did it. But all your, all the other people are like, great. Go do it again, dude. Like, finally, you fucking did it. Um, and it almost just takes the, the joy out of doing it. Because, like, what the hell was I so scared for? Everybody's everybody's doing it. But everybody's just fine. Like, what? And, like, I, there was a tree at Miwok Park that I you, you could jump off of. And I think I chickened out on that thing one. I, no, I did jump. But even the, the, I was up there and guys were like, just fucking jump. I was like, sixth grade, just jump. And, and I look over and the police are there. I'm like, oh, I have to get down? He goes, you can jump or you can walk down, but get down now. And I know I jumped another time, but I almost want to say now that I think I climbed down. What's going on? Thanks for my iced tea. I'm, I'm podcasting. Figure this much. Do you want the Bobby to help hold him? I don't think so. I'm pretty good. Cool. We're doing all right. He's pulling the hair out of the windsock. Sounds good. It sounds okay because now he's pulling the hair out of it. It's not going to sound that good anymore. <laughs> so. Uh, that I, I just, I almost want to say that I think I chickened out, you know. I know. I'm sorry. Your old dad's not as tough as he says he is. But thinking about, it's like, I think about really what stops you from getting anything in life that you really want. And it's just this fear of, of What? Usually there's nothing at stake, and usually it's very little risked. But I've let it rule my whole life, at least my childhood, right? Um, until I think, I guess, I mean, I guess we all kind of deal with it, but it's really irked me that I was so afraid for my childhood about stuff where other people would not have been. So I've made a I guess a conscious effort to to just face it and 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 like you know be damned if something bad happens but I don't think I really risked anything truly life threatening until I flew into Afghanistan and then it was like well you're flying into a war zone now and it is it is life and death stakes Yeah, but even then, you know, I'm a low budget. I'm I'm a low priority target, and that's really what I learned there was that it just uh, nobody cares about me here. Yeah, I'm a white guy, and they don't like us. They don't like me here, and, and people looked at me like they were going to kill me. And there was a small run in with the. Kabul Police Department, uh, where they they attempted to 
uh, terrify me. And then they were going to throw me in jail until our security showed up and from the Presidential Protection Service and they yelled back at the police. And I went, don't do that. Don't don't yell at them. They all have uh, coughs. They all <laughs> Hi. No, it's not me. It's them. Uh, please don't yell at them. Please don't yell at them. So, um, but even then, the interesting thing is that was that this, this is why this mattered to me. This is why it was so significant. This trip was that I, that I did something that I was truly afraid of, like this nebulous, what could happen? What are all the things that could happen? And if I let my mind wander, it was a million different things. I'd get there when I, you know, and landed at the airport. It was almost, you know. 20 or 20 below or something it was you could spit in the air and it would freeze not instantaneously but about a, about a half a second or a second after it hit the ground it was it was icicle or it was you know uh yeah it turned to ice and anyway we got to the we got when we got there i don't need to get into all the details but um we i'd get up in the morning and i'd go and get coffee i would make coffee and I'd just stand out and look out the windows, and I was told, like, don't, don't look out the windows too much because, you know, there could be snipers. What's up, dude? There could be snipers. But I'm like, but the what, you know, and they're like, well, they wouldn't want to shoot you, man. Don't worry about it. But then as I'm sitting there looking out the windows, all I can feel is this kind of needling poke at my head and this imaginary concept, the idea that the, someone is taking a bead on my head and it was almost like I could feel them narrowing down their aim to the middle of my forehead and in a few seconds I'd be like alright that's enough get away from the window and that's you know it's just like I just walked around in nebulous fear all the time there crippling 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 and um, and then eventually we, we were actually were in a little bit of heightened stress level fear where the police showed up under the auspices that they had heard somebody screaming in our compound in the middle of the night and somebody's daughter had gone missing in the neighborhood and they believed it was us, the Americans. And they, what it was, I'm sure of it, was they wanted to get an idea of who the hell we were. They'd taken an interest. They saw, they got their attention, and they were like, all right, what are these, what are these Westerners doing here? We're going to go check this out. So we showed up, and the couple truckloads of, of police show up, and they, they roll up in their trucks with the bench seats on either side of the truck bed, and they all kind of hut, 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 and they jump out, and they all have semi-automatic rifles. They kind of walk in, and we're looking at them, and they're kind of like, hmm. They walk over to the interpreter. They tell the interpreter to get over to the side, and they kind of look at us and brush by us. And I'm going, hey, what the hell's going on here? And we start to walk out and leave, and they shut the door on us, and they go, no, stay here. I mean, they didn't say it, but like, and they kind of push us into the corner of the courtyard. And I'm going, what the f What's going on here, man? You know, obviously, I'm like, this is not good. What the hell are we supposed to do about this? Um, and then some Afghan, Afghani police officer came up to us, young guy, and asks for a cigarette. 
They give him one, and then he, with my, to my friend, he like flinches like he's gonna punch him. My, he, like he was gonna punch my friend. And then he's kind of, <laughs> just a little bully mentality, just kind of, we're gonna fuck with you, because we're, you know, we're Afghani, and we're here, and you're not supposed to be here, so fuck you, white boy. You know, and, um, and then I, it comes to me to get a light, and I go, huh, and I like reach in my pocket, and then I pull out like I'm gonna have a light, and I just went, oh, no, no light, sorry. And I just hold both hands out, and like flinches at me, and I kinda, just a little check, and he's just staring me down with this fucking scowl. And he walks off and I go, why, why did I do that? Why did I do that? So in a minute or two, the uh, one of the sergeants walks up to me, looks down at my pant leg, and reaches to the just where the pocket is. There's this little spot, looks like a fingerprint of blood, right on my pocket. And he looks down. And he looks at me. And he goes, "Come on!" And he kind of pushes me towards the group of all the the police that are centered around this little um, hut, little system of huts that we were building, that we were setting up for uh, civilian clinics. Uh, and, and he, and he kind of ushers me over to this spot and shows this guy, I think his name was Pactiwal. He was the, the chief of police there. And anyway, he'd walk around with his hands behind his back with the, with the prayer beads, just kind of flipping the prayer beads. You know, trying very imposing, very whatever, um, ominous, and uh, they walk him. They walk me up to him, and they show him that. And all the soldiers around there turn my direction and pop their safeties off their AKs. Now, this should have been the most terrifying moment of my life, and it it was it was it was pretty fucking terrifying. And they all kind of usher, they push me, and they're like, get on, like, put, pointing towards the ground, like, get down. And then, uh, I can't remember, I don't think I went to my knees. I don't remember if they put me on my knees. I might as well have been. Um, but they're going, what's this? And, they're, they're, and they all start, like, grabbing at my pocket, showing the blood. And I, I just... Now, this is where I should have been fucking terrified. But instead, I didn't, I just, there was no panic. There was no panic. And I looked at him, I went, doctor, I'm a doctor, I'm a doctor. I wasn't going to try and explain paramedic here. I wasn't going to try and explain that we're a medevac company. I'm a paramedic, and, I, well, I have advanced life support, but I don't have the certain jobs, the certification. It's not a license like a doctor license. Well, it is a license. I'm not going to... Dude, there's guns coming up to my face. So I just go, doctor. I'm a doctor. I Blood, doctor. I'm a doctor. I worked on people. And meanwhile, I'm going, where the fuck did this blood come from? Where did this blood... Did he do that? Did he put that blood on my leg? Where did it come from? Because I hadn't worked on anybody that day. So I was trying to figure out where this thing... Anyway, yeah, I'm going between that and this, and I'm going, well... Well, this could happen right now. And I'm like, this, this, is, this, is, this could easily happen. And the weirdest thought came into my head. First, I get that same kind of ice-cold gut. 
and everything kind of turns into this stark crystal clarity almost and i said crystal because it was like you're almost seeing geometric patterns in the shape of things you're so clearly alert but it was also hot ice inside my gut it was like this heat as well as the freeze and the heart rate goes up and i just start kind of breathing hard and i went I wonder what it's going to feel like with bullets in my gut. Everything warmed up. I'm like, so I'm going to get shot. And I'm probably going to fall forward and look at them. And I wonder what the story will be to my parents and my girlfriend. But there was a curiosity to it, which was not expected. And I, I, I think there is where it finally went through me. And I wasn't necessarily afraid of everything anymore. Because it was like, well, here's the moment But there's going to be a moment after that moment, and then eventually it'll go away, but it will be different. It'll be new. It'll be something interestingly terrifying and painful, but new or memorable. More emotion to that. I, I can't... I can't necessarily put a, an emotion on it, but it was this, you know, and I want to think I was melancholy a little bit, but it was exciting because, again, you're getting pumped full of adrenaline. You're, you're dumping epinephrine into your system. But, um, but I wasn't crippled and afraid, and I feel like uh, if that comes up again, there's an exhilaration to it if you accept it that you could use to kick the shit out of somebody if you needed to or kill them first or find a way out of it. And which is what I did. I went, look, look. And I called over the, the, the interpreter and said, tell them I'm a doctor. I worked on a patient. This is their blood. We don't know anything about American about a girl. We don't know about a girl. And he kind of did, and, and, and this guy, Pac Wall had shuffled up, and he was listening to the interpreter, and he just kind of turned his back on me and sauntered off, holding the prayer beads behind his back, and I could just see him flipping, you know, bead to the next bead. And all the guards kind of looked at me and turned, and some of them walked away with him, and then the other ones escorted me back over to Darren, and I went, holy shit, man, you know, oh, and this just dump of endorphins, I think, hit me. And maybe I'm remembering this event in this way because of the endorphins that I was allowed to have because I wasn't killed, right? Because I didn't die, the memory is silver lining from the happy endorphins that that ended that chapter, that story. But 
so it's colored by kind of this a happy ending, both narratively and hormonally. You know, <laughs> does that make sense? Because you get you get a dump of relief um, hormones at the end that you're like, "Holy God, I'm alive! I'm alive!" And people say that you know your food tastes better and everything. You know, um, and that's probably that. And um, more than anything else, that's probably colored the way that I've lived my life since 2009. And then what happened after that was, about five minutes later, our presidential protection... Yep. Hang on. I'm almost done. See how good he is? He really doesn't make noise. We've been sitting and talking this whole time. The uh, protection team rolls up, skids out in the back... On the street, we all, by the way, all dirt roads, all dirt roads in the capital city, by the way, you know, Kabul, Afghanistan, it's, a, a, it's, a, it's all dirt roads, except for in front of like the, the, um, the diplomats and, and the administrators and the city council members. And they all have like just in front of their house for like 25 yards concrete and then turns back then back to, um, <laughs> to, to dirt roads. Okay. Hang on. This guy, are you going to let me finish this story? Are you going to let me, buddy? Then we'll go walking, okay? So, they, uh, the team skids in, and these guys get out, and they come in like, what the hell are you without anybody going out? They're screaming, they're screaming at these, the, the police, and they're going, <laughs> take it fucking easy. Meanwhile, I didn't, what I neglected to tell you was, um, in one of these little huts, um, the owner, before we rented or bought it, had somewhere found and procured um, an RPG and an RPG launcher. And inside one of these rooms was an RPG and an, and an RPG launcher that um, was only two or three rooms away from where they were going to find it, right? And I'm just waiting until they find this, and then they're going to question us. And then they may, you know, annihilate us there. So we, we go, these guys pull in, and, and they go and they, they start taking everybody out of the huts. You get out of here, get out, you know. And they start saying, well, he's, these guys are covered by the protections agents. You know, they're part of, they're working for the government here. You get, the, you know, and they start screaming. And eventually what I had heard happen was one of the police had opened the door into that hut and looked inside and this guy was like, come on, get out. This is, you're not supposed to be here. The RPG was behind the door. So when he opened it, he missed it and just walked away and left it there. So um, we somehow got out of that unscathed. So they, 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 uh, they eventually marched out of there. They took our interpreter and threw... They threw him in jail just for good measure. They had to throw somebody in jail. So they throw the interpreter in jail. We had to go bail him out. By the way, Afghan jail, probably most like other jails in the world, they don't feed you. They don't clothe you. Um, they just keep you there. And if nobody comes to bring you food or clothing or anything, um, you die or you steal from somebody there. So there's that. Um, so when we talk about prison systems in the U.S., um, come on now. So, anyway, what did that do for me? That little story. And the reason I tell is just 
because I, I wonder how much of the stuff that I don't do in life is just due to this kind of fear and and if it's that crippling nebulous fear that's almost like well if I do this then something this is going to happen and this could happen and this could happen and I talk myself out of anything before beginning when really the most alive I've been is inevitably confronting it and and working to uh, working in the face of fear working to get my mind straight and be something in the face of what could be nothing you know to to make something of it and it's hard because that's a hard seed to grind down it's not it's not as easy as um, you know having a few drinks and talking about good times what, what what I mean by that is when you're sitting there and you have something you want to say but you're afraid to say it that's a hard seed that you got to grind it out but it's some of the most flavorful stuff that you could eat and it gives you so much energy to push forward just like this guy has to okay but hang on we're almost done here um, see he's a good barometer to see if I'm keeping the audience's attention so I did two things there you know I learned that I I don't have to be so afraid because I like it when things really get that intense. And two, what you can do in the face of all of that, oh man, we're starting to lose it. What you can do in the face of all of that is just work and do something. Yeah, I'm serious. Okay, let's pause then. I'm gonna pause. Did it do it? No, that's pause. Hang on. I've traded the kid for the dog now. He's out here with me. He's, he's scampering around the fig tree, trying to get the crows at the top. Anyway, what was my point? So just, there's a couple things that I need to get done. And the reason I think this has been on my mind, I started getting bloody noses again. Uh... And that's really another reason why I haven't done a podcast, because I think I was waiting to hear the results of the MRI that I just had. Um, because I used to have these, when I first got cancer back in 2016, I was getting, I got bloody noses, but before and during that period, even before, I was having nightmares that would wake me up that were not nightmares, but just kind of red alert. And I talked about this years ago when I did that podcast or a couple podcasts concerning cancer. And the, the way I'd wake up, it felt like my body had done kind of a systems check, a little diagnostic, which is most likely what your body does at night when you sleep. And I would be waking up in the morning with this thought and almost like a red alarm light would be flashing and it was like, wrong, wrong, or, you know, short, short, something was wrong. And I kept going, what, what is it? What's going on? What's supposed to, so, and I go, am I just anxious? Am I nervous about something? I don't know, but it, no, I'm not nervous, but there's something I'm supposed to take, pay, take heed of or pay attention to, but I don't know what it is. And a couple of days or maybe a week later, maybe a week later, I'm sitting by the the, the mirror and I blew my nose 
And I'm like, man, it feels weird. And it was like, just let me see if there's something in there. And I blew hard. And that was the first of my bloody noses, which bled for about 40 minutes. Really bled. And, and it was active. And I went, this is probably the thing I'm supposed to pay attention to. Which led me to go get checked out, which led to the early diagnosis or early enough to get it treated. So now, cut to two and a half years later, almost three years later, I'm having these dreams again. But this time I'm dreaming. Now, the first thing I did, I did have a bloody nose first. So I think that's what contributed. And it was just a little quick one. But once you've had... Once you've had olfactory nerve cancer where they go in and they tear your skull apart for 11 hours and, and pack it full of uh, plaster on the way out, you know, when you go through all this, you know, it, a little bleed is significant enough. That's all you need. So I bled it and then I kind of went, that's, that's not good. That's not good. I had hit my nose. It wasn't dry out. It was, you know, it's enough to freak me out. And then I had two dreams where I had blown my nose and there was like a, a seed, like almost looked like a coffee bean, but it was dried. It was a dried black blood clot that would smear and red in my fingers. And I didn't remember that I had one until I had the second dream. And I went in the dream. I went, I've had this dream before. I got to wake up and write this down. I have to call for an MRI, and I physically did wake up in bed and grabbed uh, grabbed my woman and went, hey, I got a call for an MRI, and I woke her. She went, what are you doing? What, what, what are you talking about? And I said, oh, shit, I have to, I have to call for an MRI. I gotta, I'm having the dreams again. So I know that fear has been on my mind a lot, and there's something about it that's just... So don't you feel weak or you feel vulnerable? Fear is like this thing where you feel, you feel unable. Like you feel your, your, your soft spots. You feel your, the weak, untrained muscle of your body and mind. And you're aware of it. It's like, I guess it's the feeling you feel if, uh, if you guys have been in a neighborhood that you shouldn't have been and people start coming around you and you start doing a self-analysis you're like oh shit i'm not good at doing this i'm not good at that they they could they come at me from you almost start feeling where they're looking and you're guarding that part of your body you know what i mean where you're you're feeling the energy it's almost like they're a wolf or a bear and you're like that's a soft spot i gotta guard that that kind of mindset that's how fear makes me just always and I, and I felt that, and I thought, oh, shit, what am I going to do? Because i got a family now. You know, i got a little boy. And, I, and I'm the one making the money to buy it, to keep the house together. And I can't imagine putting this on my, my fiancé. And, like, I couldn't imagine. And then my mind just, boom, gone. Just gone. Thinking about all this. To the point where, at that point, I, I didn't sleep for a good two weeks. I think I got maybe an hour or an hour and a half of sleep every night, if I did. And, um, and I just would be like, fuck, I gotta, I gotta, I'll have a drink. I drink to get to bed. Um, and I just wake up feeling terrible because you just never get the REM sleep. But, I, you know, the REM sleep just consisted of 
that kind of fear and then also just no REMs. I just couldn't, I couldn't fall asleep. I had to keep the TV on. So I'd be at the firehouse with the TV on all night, just something to drown out anything to just kind of distract. So, uh, it didn't take long. I called, I call, I emailed my, my doctor and she in, I think about an hour emailed me, uh, emailed the MRI guys because they called me the next day and they said at the MRI anyway long story short got in after thinking all this all this BS all the sleepless nights take the MRI I get a call later that day everything's clear everything's fine oh by the way I ran it by your neurosurgeon who drilled into your skull, took out the tumor, impacted it. That guy, he looked at it, he says, everything's fine too. Everything's fine. Go about your business. So what it taught me in this little period of time is this. I know exactly what fear can do, but it's also there for reasons. And the reasons are, I can't let my kid grow up without me. So stop all the dangerous stuff that I do voluntarily. I got to be a breadwinner as much as I can be. I'm, I'm not saying she's like, you know, financially dependent on me, but I'm living in California, ladies and gentlemen, in Marin County. Come on. It, it takes two well, well-to-do or very, very, very ambitious, busy, worker-bee parents to afford this place, especially with kid, with a child, or with kids. And, of course, a dog. Best dog in the world. Anyway, fear taught me that. You can't screw this up, dude. And you are running the risk of doing that. So knock it off. So really just kind of um, put me ship-shape. The other thing it teaches you is, well, it teaches you what's important. The other things were, I still haven't put out a a musical album. I still haven't really gotten this podcast monetized. What the hell am I doing? But I really want to save my peace. I want to have my voice out there for whatever selfish, indulgent, but ideally... um, it's it's for for your own edification and for your own benefit. I want to do that. That's what I that's what I want my life to be is something that in the end they go that guy did that, you know. Uh, that guy helped me with it. You know. You know. I heard this thing that he said one. Anyway, it's so stupid. But that's totally where I'm at. That's totally how stupid it is. But I just want to connect with people and, because people have connected with me. I just want to have that. That at least, I, at least I did something. That's, I guess, all I'm saying. I didn't take up space and burn carbon and, and make the world worse. Okay? So, taught me that. And it's like, I can do what I can do with music, but it might be not great for everybody. And I can do a podcast, which isn't great. It doesn't make money, but so what? It's it's the best I can do. So do it, and at the end of the day, or at the end of days, 
I can just at least not have to regret not doing that. So you can go, well, at least I did that. At least I did that. I've been afraid of doing music because it's, oh, it's so hard. It's such a fickle bitch. She's so mean and flirtatious and cruel. And then when you're down, she comes to you and gives you the best music to play. And you're like, where did that come? Where did that song come from? It was a, oh, I can, you can get it any time. It's right here. Just come and get. It. And you go and you, like a. Like a sunflower to the sun, you're just turning your head to it. Just give me a little, nope, that's it. And you lose it, and nothing happens of it. And I make hundreds of songs and put them out. By the way, they're all on iTunes now, um, as well as Spotify and a couple other, I think SoundCloud as well. But take a look under the Kenneth Allen Unitet. K-E-N-N-E-T-H-A-L-L-E-N-U-N-I Tango Echo Tango Meaning one man band That was the whole very funny joke That I came up with in college With my Because nobody I played by myself I played with myself you guys. Anyway so I'm afraid to do that shit Because it just sucks that I haven't made anything of it And there's a frustration built into it And that frustration turns into the fact that I start resenting other musicians that I, you know, that made it. And I'm like, oh, that music isn't as good as this song. And it turns into this big, ugly monster of a thing that I once really enjoyed doing. Because I'm sad that nothing has really happened. But then I go, but you never really put that much work into it. You know, like, blah, 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 blah. I've gotten about as much as I've given. I've just spent a lot of money on equipment. <laughs> So uh, anyway, this is this is going the wrong way here. But the point is, there's a little fear in there too. Even in the fact that I haven't done it, it's a fear of how it's going to be accepted, and fear of uh, if it's just more energy given and not gotten. Um, all selfish, childish stuff um, that I just got to get over. And 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 today I just had a little inkling, a little itch that was like, "Ooh, it's creative time again," and this stuff starts to come out again. So the music is going to be accompanying the podcasts. And the big one coming up now is the Halloween episode, which I absolutely love doing because it's my time to write stories, write horror stories, and write horror stories with a medical uh, undertone or a medical theme to it or an emergency theme thing. If you haven't listened to my previous episodes, go back to traumedypodcast.com. And find all of the October episodes, the Halloween specials. They're, they're among my favorite to do that and the interviews with people. Uh, but I can feel this, this, little, this little monster starting to grow in me. And rather than succumb to the fear of going, but what happens if I don't and it doesn't come out the way I want it to? And it, uh, 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 Just in the face of fear, I'm going to push forward. And make a little something out of it, right? And, you know, be something rather than not. And that's it. The, the, the better we get at stepping into the darkness and, and standing 
in the darkness and like whatever, you know, standing on uncomfortable ground or something, the better and the more steps we can take onto it. And then maybe we might find that land's pretty badass and we want to stay there for a little while. And that's where I want to be. I want to be here long, happy, long and happy, happily with you guys enjoying my podcasts and hopefully getting something out of them. So you, you take care of yourselves out there and, you know, remember if you got it, use it. I hope this helped. Stay tuned for another, hopefully, uh, some more detail on some, some, uh, some Kabul stories because I wanted to get more of this out this year and it's taken some time, but stand tall for that. And then there's going to be a couple episodes coming up, but really this old Halloween one's coming soon. So I hope you can tune in and enjoy it. I love you very much. I hope you're doing well and I hope you do more with what you got. When it comes to setting bridges and women to burn You know I'm the perfect model I drink my booze from the bottle And when I spoke out, you know I spoke out of turn I got an open throttle And I run hot and cold It's the same old, just another hard year. Steve.